see you're all back to talk about algorithms this morning. And today I have titled this one, You as the Product. Now, if you are joining us or maybe you need a, a little refresher from last week, our series, You Are Not an Algorithm, uh, kicked off last Sunday. And the reason why I want to do this series is because I want to talk about our relationship with technology and how technology is unconsciously forming and shaping us, ways in which we're not even aware of. So this will be a four-week series. Uh, here are the four things I want to talk about. We talked about this last week, how technology is defining our value. And then today I want to talk about how technology is turning us into commodities. I want to talk a bit about how technology is turning you into a product. And my goal, as I said last week, is to bring awareness to the power that technology can have over us. And my desire is that uh, we could offer some practices to help you take some of that power back. And I want to begin in the Old Testament again. Isn't it funny? Uh, we're talking about technology. We're not even using the New Testament. We're going old school. We're going all the way back thousands of years to the book of Jeremiah, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. So uh, Jeremiah chapter 5 will be in verse 26. And if you are unfamiliar with Jeremiah, he is a prophet of Yahweh. And Jeremiah is speaking to the kingdom of Judah. So at this time, when Jeremiah is prophesying, uh, Israel is split into two different kingdoms. Jeremiah would have been in the south, uh, speaking to the kingdom of Judah, and he's based a little bit outside of Jerusalem, uh, probably a city that many of you have heard of before. These are his people, and Jeremiah has been given, it's not an easy task. Chances are most of us would shy away from this. We talked about Jonah a couple of weeks ago. If you were given the task that Jeremiah was given, hey, here's the words that I want you to speak to these people, you might be like, eh, I don't know, especially if you're a people pleaser, because Jeremiah basically went about uh, talking about doom. <laughs> uh, he was telling the Israelites why they were about to be conquered, why their kingdom was about to fall. And the reason why they were going to fall is because they have been unfaithful to God. So he's basically going around to his neighbors, uh, to the people that are living in nearby towns and cities, and letting them know where they have fallen off the path. How would you like that to be your job? <laughs> you have to go around telling people where they have blown it, how they have messed up, why God might not be so pleased with their behavior, uh, the direction in which their lives are heading. So this is Jeremiah's task. This is where we begin in Jeremiah chapter 5. Among my people are the wicked who lie in wait, like men who snare birds, and like those who set traps to catch people. Did these sound like good people? Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. I found a picture to illustrate what, uh, what is being spoken here, how God is describing some of his people, the people that Jeremiah is speaking to, like cages full of birds. Is this a positive picture? It's a pretty sad picture, is it not? 
what, what God is saying here, among my people, there are some that would deceive, some that would manipulate, that would exploit others. And essentially, uh, there's people who their sole focus is that they would entrap others. They would put others in cages. Do these sound like good people? Uh, we continue. These people who are full of deceit, who trap other people, they have become rich and powerful, and they've grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not seek justice. It's a pretty sobering passage, is this not? Who is God upset with? I mean, upset, as I was writing this, I'm like, upset doesn't even begin to explain, it doesn't even convey the depth of how God feels. God is upset, cranked up like 10 degrees. I mean, move that dial, we're like at 12, 13 here. God's upset with people who use their positions of power and influence to become great at the expense of others. This does not make God pleased. In fact, this is the reason God explains why Jerusalem, why this southern kingdom is about to fall. Not only have they been unfaithful, but now they are treating others in an awful way. They are exploiting others, and those at the top keep pushing the others further and further down and placing them almost like as if they're in cages. So God is upset with those who set traps, who manipulate, exploit, who use others as pawns, products, commodities to be extracted for gain. I would argue that this very thing is happening in our world today, unbeknownst to us. I would argue that this is happening today through social media, the apps, and the websites that we use. Let's talk a bit about social media first, and we'll talk about Meta, which the fact that Facebook changed their name to Meta, I, it just, I don't know, feels a bit odd, does it not? So when we talk about Meta, we're talking about Facebook, we're talking about Instagram. Anyone have any idea how much profit Meta made in 2021? <laughs> $117.9 billion. It's a lot of money. Imagine seeing that number in your bank account. <laughs> Where would you go? I'd buy a private plane. And the truth is, for Facebook or for Meta, the majority of their profit, you know where it comes from? It comes from you. It comes from selling you as a product. Facebook has, they don't have any other way of making money rather than advertising to you. And these ads are extremely targeted. So let's talk about women's clothes and the Johnny Depp trial. I've noticed this over the past couple of months, and me and Steph must be on the same account, because Steph was searching for a particular pair of jeans. I'm in my office a couple of days later that week, 
and all of a sudden I'm giving these ads for women's jeans. I have not ever in my life looked up women's jeans. Okay, actually, I did buy Steph a pair of jeans for Christmas last year, but we're talking months and months afterwards, and those ads had disappeared. Steph was looking for these jeans, and then these ads started following me. Have you ever experienced this before? I thought it was creepy enough when it was just me, so if I was looking up uh, concert tickets, an advertisement for concert tickets would follow me around, but the fact that Steph was looking up women's jeans, and now they were showing up on my computer, that just took creepy to a whole other level. Uh, and then the Johnny Depp trial. I mentioned this before a couple months ago. I was utterly fascinated with the Johnny Depp trial. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> it's like I would just get popcorn and watch the Johnny Depp trial in the afternoon. <laughs> when Steph was scrolling through her Instagram feed, there would be these advertisements, these reels of the Johnny Depp trial. So it's creepy enough that the targeted ads follow you everywhere you go, but now that they're following my spouse, they're following me based off of what, I mean, now these, this is how Facebook, Meta, it's how they make money. It's how Alphabet, who owns Google, makes money as well. Selling your data, your information, to third-party vendors so that they can follow you around the internet and then they can place these targeted advertisements right in front of you whenever you're searching for something or if you're scrolling through the feed of your social media page. And here is how, and this is, the more I looked into this, here's how the data is collected. It's collected from what you input on Facebook or on Instagram. It's collected from your Google searches. So whatever data you happen to, whatever clicks, whatever things you search for, wherever you linger for a while, because remember last week we talked about how these companies know how long you look at an image for, how long you stay in a page for. So wherever you linger, all this information, all this data is being collected constantly from you, and now it's being sold to third-party vendors. Uh, the data is also collected from what sites you visit while you are logged onto Facebook. So let's just say you have multiple browsers up. If you're logged into Facebook, if you're logged into uh, Gmail or Google, all the other sites you go to are being collected. This is true also. Whatever apps are running in the background of your phone, that information is being collected by those who own the apps. Now we talked about this last week. Uh, the more users that are on a platform, the more users that are on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, the more time that you are on these platforms, the more money it generates for the company. That is why it's in Facebook's best interest to keep you using their site and to keep you glued to their site as long as they possibly can because the longer you are there on their site, the more advertisements they're able to sell to you. The way Facebook works it's an exploitation of how we, as humans, have been wired. I want to show you a video. Uh, Joe, if we can go to the next slide and bring that, that uh, video up. This is an interview that I found with Sean Parker, who is one of the creators of Facebook. And in this interview, he basically tells uh, the person who's doing the interviewing, you can, you can go to that one, that Facebook knew exactly what it was doing. 
when they created their platform. Look, the site's first president, Sean Parker, is now admitting that Facebook was designed to be addictive, and he's now worried about what that means for our children's brains. ABC's Ariel Reshef is here with the story. Good morning, Ariel. Good morning to you, George. Anyone who uses social media might admit it can be hard to tear yourself away. Now the former head of Facebook says that's exactly what the founders intended. And like the site he helped create, this morning he has our attention. He's the billionaire brainiac who helped launch Facebook, otherwise known as the guy Justin Timberlake played in the social network. Drop the the, just Facebook. But now, former Facebook president Sean Parker is sounding the alarm about the potentially addictive nature of social media. Like, what is that doing to people's brains? Speaking at an Axios event Wednesday, Parker, who worked with Mark Zuckerberg to develop Facebook with a bombshell claim, saying the site was intentionally built to hook you. That thought process was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. It's a social validation feedback loop because you're exploiting a vulnerability in, in human psychology. The 38-year-old mogul admits he, along with other pioneers of social media, knew what they were doing. We understood this consciously, and we did it anyway. Facebook estimates it's more than 2 billion users spend about 50 minutes per day on its apps, including Instagram and Messenger. It literally changes your relationship with society, with each other. While the medical community has yet to classify social media as addictive, like alcohol or gambling, one recent study found that participants who appeared to use social media most compulsively showed changes in the part of the brain that controls impulse. It's much more helpful to say, look, we're very vulnerable to this. It acts on us in many ways, in the ways addictive substances will. As for Parker, he now calls himself a conscientious objector to the site he helped create. Will you post on Facebook again? Of course. No, I post on Facebook all the time. I post on, I, 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 I use these platforms. I just don't, I just don't let these platforms use me. Now, yeah, we knew what we were doing and we did it anyway. You know, it's really interesting. A lot of the creators of the devices that we use, they don't actually let their children use them. Steve Jobs wouldn't let his kids near an iPad. The profit that is made from you using these sites and these gadgets and the creators were aware of the potential harm they knew that they were exploiting our vulnerabilities. Why is it that we use social media? Because we want human connection. That's the reason you're on there. You want to be connected to others. You want to feel recognized. Why do we post anything? We want to be seen. We want to be heard. I mean, these are all really, really good things. These are innate desires. It's what it means to be human, that others would see that we exist. We're on there because we don't want to feel alone. We want to be connected, know that others are there with us, that others are seeing what we post, commenting 
on what we post. All these good desires, well, they've been exploited for profit. And we're the ones who, like birds, get trapped in cages. Yeah, we knew what we were doing. We're not even aware of how harmful this might be. We're we're not going to let our kids use it, but yeah, we'll get as much money as we can from other people, and then we're going to go sell that data to other companies that can use it for their gain. Let's talk about the app world for a moment. How many of you are familiar with MoviePass? (laughs) Here's how I became a little more familiar with this world of of what's happening with our apps. I signed up for MoviePass about six, seven years ago. And the way MoviePass works, or used to work rather, they have uh, since gone bankrupt and I think they relaunched, but I'm going nowhere near MoviePass. MoviePass, for $9.95 a month, you were promised to be able to watch as many movies as you wanted to. Unlimited movies, $9.95. Now, I had MoviePass and I would watch about five or six movies a month for $9.95. It was great. It was awesome. Like $9.95, I'll do it. But then a lot of people started asking, well, how could MoviePass possibly make their money? $9.95, but yet they're the ones paying the theater for your movie ticket. So if I saw five movies, it might cost 50, 60 bucks. And yet I was only paying $10 a month. So how is it that they were making money? They were selling your information. They were selling your data to other people, specifically geolocation, which is where you happen to be, where your feet are planted. So what would happen is MoviePass would basically, they would track your movement. Take this theater, for example. They would know, okay, we're all here in this theater. Let's say we're watching a movie. Say we're watching Elvis. And then they would track our route home. What stores did we pass? Gas stations, convenience stores. What did we pass? What restaurants did we pass on our way home? And the, the more you take this route, the more often that you would take it, well, the more it became a pattern of your behavior. So if you pass the same chilies five times in a month because that was your route home from the theater, well, then they were going to let chilies know. They're going to sell that information to chilies, and now you would start getting advertisements for chilies on your phone. Chili's would pay movie pass. You are being sold as the product. It's true for movie pass, but it's true for other apps as well, especially when they're on all the time and you have to keep that tracking services button clicked. Geolocation. What's the route that you take? What patterns do you exhibit on a regular basis? Uh, This is true for other apps and also all the free services we use. Uh, Book Data and Goliath by Bruce Shiner says this, We use systems that spy on us in exchange for services. It's just the way the internet works these days. If something is free, you're not the customer. You're the product. So his argument is that it's better for us to pay for the things we use. It'd be better for us to pay for email, for Facebook, for Instagram, because if something is free, what are you signing away? What information are you freely allowing others to exploit and sell to others? If something is free, you are no longer the customer. You're not paying for anything. You have become the product. 
He goes on, he says, marketers are constantly looking for patterns that indicate someone is about to do something expensive, like get married, go on vacation, buy a home, have a child, and so on. Last year, when we were going through everything with our home, we had to purchase a new couch, uh, a new TV, and we had to take out a whole bunch of loans. What started showing up in my mailbox? Yeah, credit cards. Banks offering loans with great interest rates. How did anyone, I mean, without fail, I would get at least eight to 10 a week. And I'm still getting them now. Uh, just this past week, we received in the mail three, count them, three in a week, flyers for toys. Target, American Girl Doll, the Child's Learning Program, I remember before we had kids, we started getting all these flyers for Bye Bye Baby. Uh, Babies Are Us. Yeah, they're really, really good at predicting. If something is free, you're not the customer. You are now the product because your information is being sold. I did a little research into uh, how much your information uh, is worth. Uh, here's a number that I found, about $35 per month. Per adult, about $35 per month. Uh, that's one stat I found. That's how much you are worth to these companies. $35 a month. And what is that? What is that per year? It's uh, over 200 bucks, even more than that. Yeah. Let's talk about social media and you being a product on social media. 2015, there was a famous Instagram model, Asina O'Neill. Has anyone heard of her before? She had about a quarter or a half million followers on Instagram when she decided to tell the truth. She changed her name on her Instagram account, called herself, social media is not real life. <laughs> Who are you friends with? I'm friends with social media is not real life. Then she went back and she edited older photos that she had published. Here's how she edited some of the photos. Took over a hundred in similar poses, trying to make my stomach look good. Would have hardly eaten that day. Would have yelled at my sister to keep taking them until I was somewhat proud of this. She was selling herself as a particular person, looking a certain way. She had become the product. Here's another edit. I didn't pay for the dress. Took countless photos, trying to look hot for Instagram. The formal made me feel incredibly alone something that she had experienced and now she wanted to manipulate her image in a certain way online so that others saw her a particular way she had become the product now this this change in her instagram and her social media it was met with mixed reviews uh, here's how one person adam alter put it o'neill was voicing publicly what thousands of instagram users felt across the globe that the pressure to present perfection with every shot is, is relentless and for many people, unbearable. Every post must be perfect. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't look great in that one. Let's not put that one up. Let, let's take another one. Hey, look at that dress. Let me go buy that dress. I'm going to return it tomorrow, but l let me go take a, a few pictures in this dress because it's, it's going to look good. People are going to think I look really great and I have great style. It's unbearable. Now, here's where I think the danger lies. 
when you become a product on social media. Here are the stats of how depression has been on the rise in our young children. This is the chart showing the numbers of those who have had at least one major depressive episode in the past year. Girls are in red, boys are in blue, both trending upward. Where does the upward trend start? Right about 2011. I mean, for girls, oh my goodness. I have a daughter. She's three. That chart scares the crap out of me. Depression, anxiety, they're both on the rise and continuing to go up. Social media, something built out of a, a desire that we, we use it because we want others to see us. We want to connect with others. Yet what harm is it doing to our children? What harm is it doing to us? Uh, what is the price that we are paying for using these services? This, to me, is not an acceptable price to pay. It's not an acceptable risk. We have to do something about it. We have to change the trajectory of where these lines are going. We have to do something about how we interact with technology and these platforms that we use on a regular basis. So what can we do? What can we do? I want to offer you three things that we can do. First, educate yourself. That's why we're doing this series. Once we have awareness, that's when change can begin to be made. Change starts with awareness. So we educate ourselves. Uh, here's a great book, Data and Goliath. I quoted from Bruce Shiner. Uh, this one talks a whole bunch about the technologies that we use and some ways that we can protect ourselves online, some methods that we can use. I mentioned a book last week by Jaron Lanier, 10, 10 Reasons to Delete Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. Another great book. Uh, someone in the heart of Silicon Valley, who knows all about these social media platforms, helped create them, helped create the internet, and now he's speaking out against the dangers of it. So it starts by educating yourself. It's, it starts with awareness. And then a second way is to have these conversations with others. Uh, we had a conversation the, uh, this past Wednesday night at Community Group so we could talk about some of this together, about how it's affecting us. Talk about it with your neighbors your friends, the people that you see, your family. Let's have a conversation about our social media usage. Let's have a conversation about the technologies that we use. How can we protect ourselves? What are you seeing? What are ways that we can stop being products and that we can take our power back so that it doesn't cause harm to ourselves and to our children? And then here's the third way. We set boundaries. I mentioned uh, Asina O'Neill. Uh, she got off Instagram for a while. I believe I heard that she's back on again. Uh, my guess is that she has changed how she interacts with her social media page. What are boundaries that we can set online? Boundaries that we can set for our children? What conversations can we have with our kids, with others? 
about our online usage? What are healthy rhythms and patterns that we can set? Uh, we began by looking at these couple of verses in Jeremiah where God is upset because those at the top are exploiting the vulnerable. Uh, they're getting something, extracting profit from others. And God, this isn't God's desire for the world. So what is it that God desires? Justice. Those who are growing fat and sleek, those who are becoming more powerful with more money in their pockets, they are not seeking justice. Mishpat is the Hebrew word for justice. Dr. Widman, my Hebrew professor, here's how he describes justice. It's an authentically shared life. Justice is about how we do life together, how we do community, solidarity with others. He believes it's the Hebrew word that's used to mean society. How do we set ourselves up as a group of people that live together in harmony? looking out for each other, not exploiting weaknesses, but showing care, concern, and love for others. See, God's design for creation is that this world would be a life-giving and a life-sustaining place for all of us. When there's some that would deny justice, and there's many, many different ways in which this can show itself. This is just one of the ways God is upset because it's not helping all of us. It's not helping the world move forward into a system, a community that works for everyone. God's desire is that no one would be left behind. No one would feel like a pawn or a product in a system, but that all of us would feel valued for who we are. Jesus was once asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What sums up basically the Old Testament? We're all familiar with this. What did Jesus say? Well, you love the Lord your God. That's the first, the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Exploitation. It's not showing love for others. How do we move this creation forward where we protect the vulnerable, where we protect ourselves, and where we offer love for every person? How do we ensure that the rise in depression and anxiety does not continue, but that it begins to trend downwards? I think it first starts with having these conversations. So that no one feels like a product or like they have to become a product for others.